We're back in Zechariah. That's where we've been. We're going to finish up chapter 8 today. Uh, At least that's my belief. Um, Zechariah is uh, truly, I got to tell you, for me, been a blessing. It's been a blessing to me because I've seen and I've met with my God. And I've seen what my God can do. And I see what my God does for his people. And when I see those kinds of things, it's an encouragement to my heart. Even though it's a New Testament heart, it's an encouragement that God is good and he's always good to his people. My love for God and his ways has grown tremendously because of this study. Um, And frankly, from the responses of some of you, I've heard the same thing, that uh, you too have been blessed by studying Zechariah, and it's been good for you as well. Friends, the more that we know God, the more that we love God, the more that we can trust God. We can trust that he's always going to do his will. We can trust God that it's always going to be a perfect will. Even when the circumstances don't seem so good for us, we can always trust in him. And and I got to tell you, it makes life a whole lot easier than struggling against his will. That is exactly what God is trying to convey here. We have these post-exilic Jews coming back from Babylon. The Chaldeans have come in and taken them away to captivity, and they've been in Babylon for 70 years, and, and now they're coming back. God has said, my people are to go back. And they come back, and they're not a happy bunch of people. They're not a happy bunch of people. They now are able to experience God's sovereignty because he said he'd bring them back in 70 years. He said that he would never give up on them. And folks, if you're one of God's children, you've seen God's faithfulness in your own life. You've seen it over and over and over again. You've seen his love displayed to you over and over again. But especially through this passage, we see how he takes care of his people. The Jewish people are being taken care of very specifically here. And so we've been looking at God's sovereignty, his faithfulness, and his love. We see that his sovereignty means that he is supreme without limit in what he can do. His sovereignty means that he is independent of any influence outside of his being. There are nothing outside of himself influences him. It's all within him. God alone has that kind of power. The Almighty has control over all things. And that's why when I, I look at the political situation or the economic situation or this or that or wars or these kinds of things, I go, it's like the king's heart in the hand, like water in the hand, Proverbs 21.1. And he can move it any way he wants to move it. And he's doing that same thing here. Psalm 135, he can just jot this down. Psalm 135, six and seven says this, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all its depths. Now, I love this line. I I could camp out on this. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. Who has control over global warming? (laughs) In God. These, excuse me, people that are running around that are trying to figure it all out and what's causing it. Let's go back to God. God is the one. And it continues in Psalm 135, verse 7. It says, who makes lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasuries. He's the one who causes tornadoes and hurricanes and weather. Not us. Not us. 
Friends, we continue in this study of the greatness and the faithfulness of God. However, if we were to declare that God was only in control, we should fear. I'm going to repeat that so that you get it. If we were to declare that God was only in control, we should fear. Yes, he is in control, mighty control. But this almighty God, this majestic God, not only is in control, but he is good. He is good. That's what you have to remember. He is good and always does good. He is never arbitrary in his decisions. None of those things are out of his purview. Yahweh's power is only displayed in perfect, absolutely perfect love. Psalm, 30, uh, Psalm 62, 11 and 12 says this, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and loving kindness is yours, O Lord. He does it out of his loving kindness. And that word there, loving kindness, and you've heard me say it over and over again, as the Hebrew word has said, it's a loving kindness that goes on and on and on and on. We now enter, folks, if you've been here, the conclusion of this litany of the greatness of our God. But it's interesting. Zechariah at the end here turns to what some would say is mundane and humdrum. It's like nothing. Why are we even discussing these things? But he does bring it up. And so we need to look at it. We, we actually are going to return to the question that was posed back in chapter 7, where they ask, what about these fasts? We've got this fast of the fourth month, the fifth month, the tenth month. We've got all these fasts to do. Why do we have to keep these things going? the remembrances of the things from the past because the walls came down, because the city was attacked, all of those kinds of things. Why do we keep doing these fasts? Remember, it was never answered in chapter 7. Before I get ahead of myself, though, we did have some visitors, and I need to let you know where we've come from, okay? We have, which I never do, and I I admit it, there's two weeks in a row that I've used PowerPoint. Now, please excuse me, forgive me, but this is another week of PowerPoint. I wanted to put these messages up there once again to remind us, for those who are visiting, for those who may not have been here last week, maybe you missed a week in between. The first thing that we noticed was in verses one and two out of Zechariah. It talks about God's zealous, jealous love for his people. It's an incredible, extraordinary love. Now, we are New Testament believers, but think about this, folks. The love that God has for you is even more extraordinary in a sense. Jesus Christ had to come to save you. Jesus Christ had to come to take your sins. Yes, it's also the same for the Old Testament believer, but the Old Testament believer didn't even know that the Son of God was going to have to die for them. You do. The second message here is God's being. In other words, the being of God, the omnipresence of God, that it's here, he's always with us. He resides and and is resident among his people. That's what it's trying to say here in verse 3. And guess what? For you, the Christian, Ephesians 1, tells me that uh, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is within you. And so you have God resident in you, God the Holy Spirit resident in you. Uh, That's both... uh, encouraging and scary at the same time. And you have to admit that. The third message is that 
can trust this God. This third message is about the peace and security that this God gives to us. Uh, Let me just read verses four and five. I'm not going to read all of them, but just to catch you up there, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of his age, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. And remember, the explanation is here you've got both ends of the spectrum of life, the old and the young, and they're able to be in the streets. That couldn't happen in Jerusalem before that, because there was wars going on. The children generally died early. The old men would not have lasted there. So you can trust him. He's there for you. Now, the next, the fourth message of God is about his power, his omnipotence. His power will accomplish all that he intends to do, and nothing is going to stand in the way of his glory because that's what he's trying to do, is to attain his glory so that we would worship him even more as we see things that he's doing. Did I put that up there yet? No. How about that? Whew. Man, I could be tech. I'm going to become a techie. <laughs> scary. It's scary. <laughs> I'm still using the chisel on my rocks and... Just kidding. Now in verses uh, 7 and 8, we see God's plan. His his message here to us is about his sovereign plan, that he's going to carry it out. He chose his people. We see that he chose them in Abraham. And he says there, and I will make you a powerful nation. I will make you a a nation of lots of people, the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. Hasn't happened yet up to this point, but that's what he said. That's the fifth message about his sovereign plan. And then last week, we looked at uh, a couple of more. And we looked at for the verses 9 through 13. We see the sixth message there. and God will produce results. If he says it, he's going to do it. He's going to produce results. I, I had a coach in high school. He wanted to produce results. And so, you know, when you said to, your, to the coach, you know, oh, coach, I'm hurting a little bit. He said, take two aspirin, come back tomorrow. We're going to go back to, to, to working out again. There was no giving in to yourself. Go and produce results. Well, that coach was okay, but God also wants results. And he wants results from you. He wants things to happen in your life. We're not just coasting through this life, putting our feet up in the easy chair and just, oh, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about anything. No, he wants something from you as well. And then the seventh message is he eliminates fear. God eliminates fear. There's nothing to fear. When we have this kind of God that can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, he's resident within us, he loves us, he cares about us, he wants his glory and our good, then I have nothing to fear ever. Ever. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but it encourages my heart that I have nothing to fear. Well, but pastor, there's no money in the bank account. There's rent due. There's this, there's that. God's doing something. God's about doing something. I don't know why, but let's see what he's going to do. Trust him. Now, today we've seen Zechariah. We're going to start in verse 18. We're going to go all the way to verse 23. I'm going to read that whole section for us so that we get an idea of the, of the context of this. But again, it's three more messages. 
Three more messages to encourage your hearts to love him and trust him. And so let's look at that. Verse 18. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feast for the house of Judah. So love truth and peace. Thus said the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men will from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. I mean, I get chills just thinking about that. I mean, the scene, uh, uh, Hollywood could never do a picture like that, but God could. But God could. These last three messages are to the post-exilic Jew, post-exilic Israel. Here, folks, is a broken people. Here is a forlorn people, if we can put it that way. A dismayed people is there in Jerusalem. They're supposed to build the wall. They're supposed to build the temple. And they got people attacking them. They're coming at them from all sides. And, and this is where God steps in and encourages the heart. He brings them what? Joy and gladness. Joy and gladness. This eighth month, the eighth message here is to the people of God to give them and let them know that God is a healer of pain. Folks, you're living life just like the rest of us. It's sometimes a pain to live in this world. I don't mean your spouse being a pain. I don't mean your children being a pain or your parents. But it's just painful to live in this world. We see things like shootings at a, air uh, station, naval station in Pensacola. We see other tragedies where people get shot and killed and, and we see other kinds of things. Yeah, it's a pain to live in this world. It's almost disheartening to sometimes see these kinds of things. But friends, we need to remember this. God is in the business of transformation. God is in the business of reconciliation. He does not want his people, that is us, to be burdened and plagued with empty religion. And he doesn't want the Jew from, first, from this time period to be uh, plagued with empty religion. So what does he do? He steps in. We see that in verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, and the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth month will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feast for the house of Judah so Love, truth, and peace. It was a burden, folks. I don't know about you, but could you imagine going through all these fasts? They did not have 12 months in their calendar. They had less than that. And they still had all of these fasts going on. They had to take care of these things. Fasts were occasions of great pain. You know why they were great pain? Because they were forced to think about what happened at those fasts. Their sins and their disobedience brought those fasts around. They were forced to think about it, their inadequacies, their, their coming short of what God wanted from them. They were being punished even through the fasts. 
By the way, God did not give them the fast. They imposed it upon themselves. Why? Because the walls came down, because of this, because of that. They put those on themselves and they kept celebrating those things or they kept recognizing those things. And it hurt to remember how they had failed. God now makes them what? Fasts to festivals. Can you imagine that? Going from fast to festival. When I was a little guy, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, we had fasts. I think I mentioned that last week. We had fasts. On Friday, we weren't supposed to eat meat. It wasn't supposed to happen. I remember as a little guy, I don't know how old I was, I, I had some meat. I was at a swimming pool. I remember that. I think it was a hot dog. I called up my mother immediately. I was shaking. Mom, Mom, I, I ate some meat. I, I, I'm, af- I'm afraid that God's going to strike me down. And just, oh, don't worry about it. Your dad once had a ham sandwich <laughs> on Friday. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> my dad had a ham sandwich on a Friday. But you see, those fasts were there for a reason. To remember something, it was for a good reason to remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross on a Friday. But man, they went overboard. Let me have my hot dog. Don't keep that hot dog for me. But here, God says, we're going to go from these fasts to festivals. Festivals of great joy. Festivals of cheerfulness. Joy and gladness had been robbed from the Jew had been taken away because they're in Babylon and they're remembering all the bad things that they had done. It was stolen from them in a sense. Actually, it was a consequence of their disobedience. The voices of joy, the voices of gladness remained silent while they were in Babylon. You didn't hear them have festivals. They only had these fasts. Now they've returned to the land. And what did they ask in chapter 7? When can we get rid of these things? Well, why are we continuing to to do these things? And Zechariah doesn't answer them, and this is why. Because he wants them to understand. It's not even because you asked. It's because God blesses you. God blesses you. Not until God gives them back their voices that they are able to be able to have these times of, of rejoicing. They're no longer captives. And God shows them what you and I have experienced, God's grace. Even though they sinned, God extends grace to them. He extends mercy to them. He bestows it on his beleaguered people because he knows how hard it is on them and what they're going through in trying to live out their Jewish life. Beloved, all of us have experienced times of anguish. I don't think anybody is ever immune from those kinds of things. You have a loss of a loved one. Uh, You have anguish because of that. But those times of anguish are replaced if you know that they know Jesus Christ, that they have God as their their anchor. Got that in there, didn't I? I I gotta tell you, I did a a funeral recently. I didn't know the person, but the whole family, that person was a Christian without a doubt. I love doing those kinds of funerals the tough ones where you don't know, where you even have doubt. But you see, God, even for the believer, gives them encouragement. And this is how he gives them encouragement. 
I don't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve to be saved, but his mercy and his grace still extended to you. I hope there's no one here that doesn't know Christ. I, I, I would hope that if you don't know Christ, you would reach out to one of the elders that's here today, one of the other deacons, somebody, and ask them. Don't, don't leave here. Don't go into Christmas time. Don't, don't try to go home today without checking that out to make sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, the pain that was here for the Jew is being mitigated by God with greater joy. And for us, this joy is knowing Jesus Christ. And all of us, I know, have had mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. I mean, I did my sister's funeral. She was not a Christian. I know she wasn't. She refused the gospel when I gave it to her. But that mercy that I've received is overwhelming, is overwhelming because I don't deserve to be saved. So keep that in mind. Joy in this text indicates the festivals that they're now going to enjoy. The festivals are, are social occasions instead of, uh, of, uh, of things that are remembrance of the bad from the past, the longs from the past. It's the, the joy, the word joy here is like, serving, like, like having a wedding or banquet. That's what it's giving us the idea of. Gladness takes on the meaning of happiness. Therefore, they are happy occasions instead of dreadful times. Remember uh, attending a funeral, my first one as a Christian, was in the chapel here. And I, I sat in about the middle of the chapel and I'm watching this thing and it was stark contrast to when I grew up. When I grew up, it was weeping and wailing and all of this. And these people are all happy. I'm going, wow. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're happy Bill is gone. I have no problem with that, folks. Because I'm not listening to you up in heaven. (laughs) I don't care what you think. (laughs) That's what's happy, is that we're there. So far in this prophetic gem that Zechariah has given to us, We have been blessed by little morsels of hope all along the way. This hope that God continues to give to these people, we need to go back and take a look at it. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 1. I I want you to hear this because this is what God has been given through the prophet, letting his people know, I'm I'm doing something here. I'm about doing something. And in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. Now, if you've been in any kind of sin, and you've been walking away from the Lord, and you hear those words, I would hope you would say, God, I'm, I'm grateful that you're coming after me. Keep coming after me. I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem, meaning that it's going to be hard to even measure this whole thing. Verse 17, again proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. If you're just coming back into Jerusalem, after being in captivity for 70 years, and you hear this, wow, 
Your heart is getting excited about this. Well, Zechariah didn't stop there. Chapter 2, verse 10. It says there in 2.10, he says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Here's God dwelling with them, (coughs) declares the Lord. He loves them. You know, it's so hard to understand why did he pick out the Jews? The Gergesites, the Hittites, the whateverites that were out there were larger and bigger and may have been more faithful, but he chose the Israelites. 3, nine, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquities of that land in one day. Boom, like that. He's got to take it away. Take away all the sin. That's an encouragement to these post-exilic Jews. Chapter 4, verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Right there. That's an encouragement. The prophet of God says it's going to be finished. And so they could be encouraged with that. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. One is going to prove the other. And it did. Zechariah was from God, from Yahweh, and Zerubbabel finished the temple. Uh, chapter 8, where we are right now, and, and we could look, we can go back to verses 3 through 8, which is another encouragement. Uh, verse 11, but now I will not treat the remnant of the people as in the former days. I'm not going to treat them like they used to. I'm going to treat them different now declares the Lord. That's what he's going to do. Verse 13, again, another reminder of God's faithfulness. It will come about just that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. You may become a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. I hope you have Jewish friends. I hope you do. I hope you let them know what you heard from Zechariah, that they are a blessing. They are a blessing. Okay, let's go back to Zechariah 19. It says at the end of that particular verse, it says, so love, truth, and peace. Do you know uh, the prophet put that in the imperative? In other words, it's a command. You are to love this. These are the things that you are to love. You are to love these things, truth and peace. There's no, by the way, fudging of truth. There's no white lie out there, folks. You know, I I give these examples, you know, in the counseling class when, when I'm teaching, you know, lying is this, not telling your wife everything. That's lying. Okay, so keep that in mind. It's not just, it's telling all the truth and nothing but the truth. This is really the response that is to be had for the festivals and the joyful occasions. It is a response of gratitude to God that you're going to speak in truth, you're going to speak in peace. And, And basically, 
God is the one who changes their gloom and their doom to joy and gladness. That peace spoken of here is, is not just the absence of conflict. No, it's truly people living in harmony. Do you know that can happen? I'm studying through this stuff on, on resolving conflict. Do you know how many books are written on resolving conflict? Oh, my word. Um, and you know, one of the most, one of, and I'm going to give you a little bit of what I've found. The one thing that's found in most conflicts, and you know what it is, pride. Pride. Love truth. Love peace. That's what you need to do. Otherwise, you're going to be discovering that you are a prideful person. I must be right. How dare you even question whether I'm right or not? That's what happens is pride. Psalm 85.8, you can just jot this down. It says this, I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. Because that's what it's about, is that they would have true peace. Living in harmony with one another brings about true peace. You want to live in peace with God? Live in obedience. True spiritual joy comes through the zeal of loving God. You love him, whole heart, mind, and soul. What's the next part of that, Matthew 22? It's that you love your neighbor. That's what would happen. You would love your neighbor. Please take a note here. Zechariah is talking about these transferal from feast, from fast to feast. This is the fourth time he uses that kind of a picture, and I'm just going to bring it up to you. It's not nothing that's uh, too deep here, but I just want you to understand this. The first one where he brought the transferal was to bring the Jewish people back. That's the first. He took them to Babylon, brought them back, and we see that in chapter 8, 7, and 8. Then in verses 9 through 13, there's a transferal to economic prosperity from being uh, poor and not having enough. And lastly, there's a transferal of, in verses 14 through 17, of doing them good, doing them good and not bad. All right. I think I hit the wrong button. Or did I hit too many at the same time? See, that's why I don't do this stuff. You don't want me to. That's, that's the last one I just spoke about. Here's the next one. There we go. I'm sweating up here. Verse 20 through 22. I think now you understand why we don't do this. Um, uh, verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Um, I, I chose this to be God is a God of great hope. God is a God of great hope. He's an incredible God, and and he has given this people great hope. One commentator put it this way. Listen to this. The world judges our God by our actions. 
world judges our God by our actions. When the people and their leaders falter in their obedience, the world judges not only them, but also their God. Wow. This past week, uh, one of our um, one, one of the uh, theologians in the current Christian world wrote something that I don't agree with. Of course, one of my friends here sent it to me and said, oh, look what he wrote, and I know that you don't agree with him, and would you want to answer him? And I said, not before Christmas. <laughs> not before Christmas. I, I'll do it sometime after. But it just, you know, that's what happens. We sometimes react to it. And please help that child from being hurt, whatever it is. Here's the covenant promise, folks, that was made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. It says, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isn't that incredible? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It is coming, folks. It's coming. And God sovereignly has used sinners to point to unbelievers to Christ and as a savior of the world. Those sinners are us. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. There is a time, folks. There is a time of incredible universal blessing. And it's in the future and it's going to happen. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Why don't you turn to Isaiah? Chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah 2, let's start in verse 2, it says, now it will come about that in the last days, when is that? The last days, that's a theological term for something that's coming in the future, in the last days. In a sense, folks, if you want to know the truth, we are in the last days. We're, we're in that epic. We just haven't gotten to the last part of the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And, and that's not, folks, in attacking it in war. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many people. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. I, I can't wait for that. Man, it's absolutely incredible. Last night I was listening. No, it wasn't last night. It was some uh, uh, program about war and that we've only had two times in our history in the United States where there hasn't been a war going on. And it was like for one year in 1885 and one year somewhere else. You've got to be kidding me. But war has always been going on to one degree or another. It's not going to be any war. I, I, this is a, a blessing. But who is that blessing coming through? God is saying it's coming through the Jewish people. The Jewish nation is going to bring about that hope, the hope of the gospel. And it comes through Jesus Christ, who is Jewish, who his first followers were Jewish, and they passed it on to us. But today, the Gentile, 
is proselytizing the Jew. Today, the Gentile is bringing the gospel to the Jew because they no longer hear. I pray that we are extremely successful in our evangelism. I pray that we're extremely successful in seeing many Jews because you know what? The more Jews there are, the more coats to hang on to when you're going to Jerusalem. Verse 21, sounds like evangelism. Sounds like evangelism. It's, it says, let's go together to seek the Lord of hosts. I remember when I first started working down in uh, downtown New York, I would get off a of Grand Central Station and uh, I walked to my office every day, 214 Madison Avenue. They moved to 295 Fifth Avenue, just a little bit further, but it was still a good walk. And I'd walk, and every day, nearly every day, I, I can't say every day, but nearly every day I got out of the station, there are people there with signs, Jews for Jesus. Now, I work for a Jewish textile company. They called me the token going. And I would walk in there, and I would say, they're looking for you. I'd say it to my friends. You know, they're looking for you, Jews for Jesus. And they'd say, oh, it's Jesus is looking for you. And at the time, I was dumb as a rock, and I didn't know that they were looking for both of us. They were looking for both of us. Because that's what God has called them to do, these Jewish people. And they were like Hasidic Jews. I mean, they were still dressed up in the black and all of that kind of stuff. And I went, this is wonderful. Now that I know what they were doing, I'd be, I'd be stopping and talking to them and praising them for what they're doing. That's what the Jewish people were called to do. They were to be the light in the world, folks, and they didn't do it. We've been called to be the light in the world. How are we doing? How are we doing? So, verse 22. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. God has revealed himself, and the nations come to worship him. If the nations are going to worship the king, they must go through the nation of Israel. They must go to Jerusalem. This morning I opened up a Facebook, which I shouldn't do on Sunday, but I did. My friend, Bruce Blakey, is in Jerusalem. And he had a picture of the Eastern Wall, which is closed. And he said, one day that's going to open. That's where it is, folks. You're going to walk through that wall, right through there. That's the fulfillment of God's promise. And the nations are going to do that. Now, the 10th message, which, there we go. A tenth message, God fulfills his promises. We know that is a promise-keeping God. He's going to fulfill his promises. Whatever he says, he's going to do. But in verse 23, he says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew and say, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. I once listened to somebody's testimony. Guy was an undercover police guy, I think in Glendale or Burbank or something like that. And so he was raggedy, you know, uh, had a couple of tats on and that kind of stuff. He was trying to look undercover. Okay, so he realized that, but he was a Christian. And I said, so how did you come to know Christ? He said, yeah, I, I would come home from work every day. And, and this guy across the street, his wife and he got along. They were happy. 
the kids listened to their parents. And, and he had a nice property, you know, nice, nicely kept place. And, and, and he was always happy and they were always happy. And, and he said, I got sick and tired of it. <laughs> I said, really? You got sick and tired of it? Yeah, I went across the street. What do you have? Guy said, come on in. This is what I have. How many doors are being knocked on? How many doors are being knocked on? What do you have? What makes you different? You have the Lord. That's what's being being said here. Let's go with you for we have heard that God is with you. They should be knocking down our doors. And folks, we know that some people are attracted because of that. Some people don't want to hear a thing about it. We understand that. But it says here, nation after nation is now attracted to Israel. That's what's going to happen. The picture is that the nations desire God. You don't see that in the news these days, do you? I mean, it's everything but that. It's hate him. They're intolerant of everything that we have to say. But are we living what we say? That's the first thing. You know, if there's only one thing out of this particular passage that I could ask the Lord for would be, when is those days? I'd like to know when. You know, is it next week? Is it, you know, I got somebody who's going to get married in April. Uh, Are they going to get married or are they, you know, the Lord going to return before then? Yeah, it's always nice to know those things. Do I have to buy the tickets here? You know, that kind of stuff. It's a future date, folks, but it's coming. You better know it's coming because God, whatever he promises, he brings it forth. It's absolutely incredible that we would think that he's going to keep delaying and delaying and delaying when he says he's coming back. I think in our hearts, we need to think it's going to happen at any time. Do you know the Apostle Paul thought that? It's going to happen at any time. Whatever eschatological promises God has made, he's going to bring them to fruition. These folks here in this last verse are grabbing the garment of a Jew. What a picture. Let us go with you. Let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Love it. We have heard from the prophet Zechariah. God is with you. I believe we can all agree the intensity of God's call cannot be ignored. He will take care of each one of us, take care of each one of those Jews on that journey. What we need to do is to trust and obey. It's a simple little song that the kids learn in Sunday school, trust and obey for there's no other way. There is a call by God to authenticity. And I think that's what we need to learn here as New Testament Christians. There is a call by God to authenticity. We so often serve ourselves, folks. In our attempts at religion, we're serving ourselves rather than God. As I said last week, we so often audit the message. You know, that means just listening and don't really take it in and do something with it. God wants us to learn it. God wants us to do something about it. I sometimes think, folks, 
that we often take care of the outside of our worship, but we're not taking care of the inside of our worship. That's what God calls us to. And that's what he was calling the Jews to. It wasn't about the feasts or the fast that they were doing. It was about having true religion for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jewish nation did not have joy and gladness when they first came into the Jewish land and back to Jerusalem. God ended their formalism to a degree, getting rid of those feasts, fasts, I should say, because he wanted them to have a true heart for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do not give just God just part of you, not just part of you. God does not accept half worship. Well, I went to church, you know. He's jealous, and he's jealous for his glory, and he receives his glory by us participating in the worship. Now, finally, and and I think most importantly, we are the creature. You know that. And uh, we, the creature, would have to be God to comprehend God. We can't comprehend God in any sense of the word. We can't comprehend his glory in any sense of the word. This here, chapter 23, verses, gives us a small picture of who God is. He's much more magnificent than that. Augustine said this, we're speaking of God. Is it any wonder if you do not comprehend the Almighty? We can't get our arms around it, folks. You've seen un poquito of the Almighty. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, Lord, that you have blessed us with. Thank you for Zechariah. I can't wait to meet him, uh, Lord. It's just incredible that you have used this man to write this book here uh, to express your love for the Jewish nation, your plan of sending the Lord Jesus Christ to us. That's what we're going to be embarking on very shortly. And I'm looking forward to that, Lord. Uh, Thank you for today. Uh, We pray as we worship in the main service today that our singing is uh, acceptable. We pray that our hearts are ready, and we pray, Lord God, that you continue to change us to be the people of God that you want us to be in your name. Amen.